Hate to tell you this, but uh, real-life counterterrorism is not like the popular American TV series 24. Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Brussels, Ontario, Canada, and you're listening to Quick Hits, short podcasts about all matters related to national security. Came across an interesting article in the BBC website this week. And in case you haven't been following this, there's been an inquiry going on in the United Kingdom about the Manchester bombings. This, of course, was an Islamic State-inspired attack, which took place in May of 2017. In total, 22 people were killed and hundreds were were injured. It's outside of an Ariana Grande concert. And a lot of the victims were girls, young girls going to see their hero, Ariana Grande. And what this inquiry is trying to determine is what was known, when was it known, why was it known, and why wasn't something done to prevent the act of terrorism. This particular article talks about how an Islamic State recruiter had, there was information that MI5, the British Security Service, i.e. the UK equivalent of CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, where I worked for 15 years, had messages between the actual bomber and an Islamic State recruiter for years. But the killer, in fact, was not identified until months after the attack. The article goes on to criticize MI5 for not disclosing enough information, for not following up on things, etc., etc., etc. And as a consequence, the security service is being seen as incompetent. Okay, I think I've weighed on on this issue before, but I gotta weigh in on it again. As you can imagine, having spent 32 years in security intelligence in Canada, including 15 in counterterrorism, I'm a little bit sensitive when it comes to accusations that we don't know what we're doing, that we are, in essence, the equivalent of the famous Keystone Cops. Here's a realistic view of what counterterrorism is like. Number one, as I mentioned in the introduction, it is not like 24, which of course is this action drama series which featured you know, counterterrorism agent Jack Bauer. And each episode covers 24 hours in the life of Jack Bauer, after which in a 24-hour period, he goes from A to Z, or I guess A to Z if you're an American. He solves the issue, catches the bad guy, no one gets hurt. Everyone goes out for a beer, everyone's happy. Uh, yeah, that's not reality, folks. Counterterrorism investigations do not take 24 hours. They often don't take 24 weeks, but rather 24 months in some cases. These are laborious things that we have to do. We have to recruit human sources. We have to apply surveillance. We have to go to court to get warrants. And courts do not bend over easily when it comes to an application for a warrant, whether it be a Section 21 warrant that CSIS applies for, or a Part 6 warrant that the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or other police services apply for. Because judges and courts rightfully recognize that obtaining a warrant to intercept someone's communications is a very serious abrogation of basic Canadian human rights under the Charter. And as a consequence, they want really good information, evidence, intelligence that says, yeah, this guy's a problem. There's a good chance he might do something really bad, either an act of terrorism or a serious act of criminality. And yes, you've demonstrated that you, as law enforcement or security intelligence, need access to his private or her private communications determine the nature of the threat, and to stop it. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this applies particularly in the United Kingdom and to a lesser extent here in Canada, I find that people that criticize the actions of MI5 have no clue about how security intelligence works, and more importantly, haven't the foggiest notion how busy these agencies are. Now, MI5 has declared publicly on several occasions 
that they have over 20,000 people of interest, 20,000 people on their radar. And those people range from individuals who have stated stuff to a source or posted stuff online or whatever, or maybe intelligence that has been given from an ally, that they may in fact want to do something nasty, like an act of terrorism, all the way up to people who are actually actively plotting to do something, and everything in between. Now, in a perfect world, yes, MI5 and its analogs around the world would identify the worst people right off the bat. They would follow them. They'd recruit and insert human sources or agents. They would apply physical surveillance. They would get court warrants approved in a heartbeat. And every single act of terrorism that is planned would be countered, i.e. nothing would happen. No one dies. No one gets hurt. The terrorists go to jail for life. Bob's your uncle. Everyone's happy. That is not how it works, guys. I'm sorry to tell you this. You don't know within 30 seconds of intercepting someone's communications or getting a tip from an ally that someone's going to do something. The vast majority of people, and I've said this on many occasions, I apologize for being repetitive here. The vast majority of people are useless wankers who say stupid shit online, have neither the intent nor the capability, nor, frankly speaking, the intestinal fortitude because they're cowards, to actually do anything. But here's the rub. You don't know that in the first 24 hours. It takes time to figure out who are the wannabes and who are the serious actors. And when you've got 23,000 people, which is the MI5 figure I've seen quoted publicly, to worry about, do you have any idea how much, how many resources that requires to run down to ground? It's, it's incredibly huge. Investigations that I worked on in the mid-2000s and 2010s at CSIS involved dozens, if not hundreds, of investigators, surveillance, linguists, law enforcement officers, etc., etc., etc. If you were to have, let's say, just, to, just let's just say 10,000 people of interest, and each investigation takes 50 people, do the math. That's 500,000 people you have to employ. MI5 doesn't have 500,000 people. Neither does Metropolitan Police in London, in the UK. Neither do we here in Canada. These investigations are incredibly laborious. They use up a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of energy, a lot of money. And at the end of the day, all you're trying to do as a security intelligence service is make the greatest and best determination possible that you're following the right people and you have successfully, and rightfully so, rejected the wankers that will never do anything because they're wasting your time. The problem is, is that we that worked in this field, whether it's security intelligence or law enforcement, are only as good as our last failure or perceived failure. The Manchester bombing in 2017 is a failure by many people because MI5 should have known. The police should have known. They should have had resources in place. They should have stopped this from happening. But for all the reasons I just cited, it doesn't doesn't work that way most of the time. And I, I don't want to come across as, you know, a jaded, grumpy old guy who is looking at, at criticism of the kind of organization for which I worked for more than 30 years. And I'm simply expressing some form of sour grapes. I'm not trying to do that. All I'm trying to say is that if you're going to criticize an organization such as MI5 for what it did or didn't do, 
my humble advice to you is walk a mile or a kilometer in their shoes. Uh, I know, for example, that uh, my son-in-law did, did a, a ride-along with an Ottawa police officer years ago, and it really opened his eyes as to what Ottawa police officers have to do, deal with on a daily basis. It's not all roses and unicorns and rainbows. It's a lot of shitty things that go on that never cross the public domain, never get any kind of exposure. And we have this tendency to be overly critical and to say that these organizations are incompetent for having dropped the ball. I can tell you no one feels worse about death and destruction when it comes to terrorism than the men and women who work in the organizations that are paid to stop it. My own feeling about what happened to Nathan Cirillo on November, sorry, October the 22nd, 2014, he was gunned down uh, in Ottawa. Um, I mean, it's a perceived failure. We should have stopped the perpetrator. Michael's a happy bow. He should have been on our radar. He should have been followed. He shouldn't have had access to a gun. The list goes on and on and on and on. We already know that we didn't do everything humanly possible, even if we did everything humanly possible, if you get my drift here. So next time you read an account in an open media, on the web, something as well-intentioned as the BBC that says that MI5 fucked up and has a consequence, 22 people are dead and hundreds are injured, ask yourself the question, did they really screw up? Or is this simply an almost insurmountable task that we've asked them to do? The bigger question is, why are there 23,000 people of interest? Who else in society knows about them? Do their parents know about them? Do their friends, their teachers, their rabbis, their imams, whatever ideological stripe that they happen to subscribe to when it comes to political violence? What are they doing about it? Do they share information with law enforcement? Do they point out these people to authorities to, to, to monitor? Yeah, that's the more important question from my perspective. Anyhow, that's what I think. Love to hear your feedback on this. You can reach me on email borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content and want to get more of it, go to my website, borealisthreatenedrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. You can get a free daily digest of all the blogs and podcasts daily to your inbox, all free of charge. You can also see a link there to my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present. It's a history of terrorism seen through the eyes of practitioners. Love to hear your feedback as well as ideas for other podcasts. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.